Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Keeping Pace in Lung Cancer, Improving Outcomes for Patients with Ret-Positive Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Welcome to the Lung Cancer Education Series. Today, we will be discussing RET-Rearranged Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer. We've made some exciting progress about this subset of non-small cell lung cancer, so we have a lot to discuss today. This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Mark Sosinski. Hi, I'm Dr. Vivek Subaya from MD Anderson Cancer Center. So RET rearrangements occur in about 1% to 2% of non-small cell lung cancers. So Vivek, what, what and when and how should we be testing for RET alterations? Thank you, Mark, for this question. Since lung cancer has become a poster child for precision oncology, with at least nine targeted therapy options, I would recommend a comprehensive uh, genomic panel. Again, different diagnostic methods have been used to test for the presence of rich genomic alterations, such as IHC, FISH, RNA, and DHA-based next-gen sequencing assays. However, the sensitivity and specificity of different tests are different. And patients with red fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer seen in 1% to 2% younger, more likely to have non-squamous lung cancer and more be non-smokers. Interestingly, these patients have a better performance status than other oncogene-driven patients with lung cancer. So with increasing availability of next-gen sequencing testing, we are finding more patients with red fusion. So let's go through a couple of scenarios. A patient affected by non-small cell lung cancer with available formalin-fixed pyramid-embedded specimen, if we need to screen for detection of red fusion, if NGS is available, we would go for that. If NGS is not available, FISH or RT-PCR is indicated in non-small cell lung cancer, depending upon the local availability, cost, and turnaround time. In case of a negative test result, it is recommended still to perform a comprehensive next-gen sequencing panel. Let's go to scenario two. For patients affected by non-small cell lung cancer whose FFPE specimens are not available or are exhausted, again, we suggest performing a liquid biopsy, which is a cell-free nucleic acid next-gen sequencing panel to detect for a RET alteration. It is important to note that if a RET alteration is not detected by liquid biopsy, then tumor tissue testing is still required to definitely exclude the possibility of a RET fusion. In none of these above cases, a RET immunohistochemistry testing is recommended. Thank you for that. That's exactly my thinking. And in fact, you know, Vivek, in my practice, I tend in almost every patient to do both tissue and liquid biopsy at the same time. I think it's so critically important that we test comprehensively for all of this. You mentioned the FDA has nine targets in which we have approved therapies for. And then certainly in the case of RET, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about this uh, with the trials that have been done to date with the two recently approved agents, these agents are highly effective. So you never really want to miss this diagnosis. And again, I, I would endorse the concept of NGS, both DNA, RNA-based, both in tissue and blood to make sure that you've left no stone unturned. So historically, in the past, we've had some non-selective RET inhibitors you know, drugs like cabozantinib, vandetinib, uh, levantinib, even sinitinib has some RET activity. Certainly, uh, the initial results with those, there are a lot of off-targets effects, so there were toxicity issues. They weren't that active. But now we have 
very highly selective RET inhibitors. And how has this changed the care of our patients? So as you know, historically, patients with RET fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer had very few selective options beyond standard of chemotherapy. Again, as you mentioned, avandatinib, cabozantinib, sunitinib, any of the small molecule kinases also target RET. They are multi-kinase inhibitors with non-selective RET activity. Again, they were approved by the FDA for medullary thyroid cancer, and they did not have specific lung cancer indication. So they were originally designed to target other kinases, such as MEGFR2 and MET, but they were repurposed because of the discovery of their inhibitory actions on RET gene. So this off-target multi-kinase activity leads to significant and sometimes prohibitive off-target clinical side effects such as nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, rash, hypertension, QT prolongation, and hemorrhage that limit the use in some patients or limit the dose that the patients can tolerate, leading to drug discontinuation or dose reduction. Together with the non-selectivity for RET, an inferior profile and the pharmacokinetic properties of these multi-kinase inhibitors, these prevented potent RET inhibition. So, it was so welcome to have these customized designer, highly potent selective RET inhibitors approved for patients with RET fusion positive non-small cell lung cancers. So you were very involved in the ARO study, which led to the approval of pralcetinib. Tell us what we should know about this study. ARO is a first prospective study to investigate pralcetinib for the treatment of red altered solid tumors that included red fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer, and the second study to report on the outcomes with a selective red inhibitor following the study of selpercatinib. The data showed that pralcetinib has clinical activity in patients with red fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer with response rates of 61% in patients with previous platinum-based chemotherapy and 70% in treatment-naive patients who are not candidates for available standard of care. The adverse events were predominantly grade 1 to 2 severity, and rates of dose reductions and treatment discontinuations were low when you compare them with the multi-kinase inhibitors. In fact, in the 233 patients in the red fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer, that the data that was published, the common grade 3 adverse events were neutropenia, hypertension, and anemia. Overall, Pralcetinib had a manageable safety profile and showed clinical activity in patients with red fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer regardless of previous treatment history of fusion partner. Again, interestingly, there was shrinkage of intracranial metastasis in all nine patients with measurable intracranial metastasis at baseline and at least one postline baseline measurement. Five of the nine patients had an intracranial response, including three complete responses. Initially, all treatment-naive patients with advanced red fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer were required per protocol not to be candidates for standard platinum-based therapy, generally due to age, comorbidities, or other poor prognostic factors. In fact, given the promising activity, fantastic activity that was seen in the early phase of the study, the eligibility criteria were expanded by a protocol amendment in July 2019, allowing enrollment of treatment-naive patients who were candidates for standard platinum-based therapy to provide a study population more representative of the real-world population. Uh, in this update, 
Uh, interestingly, the objective response rate was 88% in the post-eligibility revision subset, which included treatment-naive patients who are otherwise eligible for standard platinum-based therapy, providing support that selective rate inhibitors such as prolcetinib can be offered as first-line standard of care therapy. In fact, after FDA approval recently, uh, prolcetinib uh, is the first and only precision medicine approved in the European Union for first-line treatment of people with red fusion positive advanced non-small cell lung cancer. For those just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Mark Sosinski, and here with me today is Dr. Vavek Subaya. We're discussing RET inhibitors for non-small cell lung cancer. We have an ongoing phase three trial, the uh, Celerette trial in lung um, that's comparing pralcetinib to platinum-based chemotherapy in this population. You know, we've established the paradigm, uh, certainly in EGFR mutation positive disease and ALK fusions that targeted therapies are superior treatments. And I would go out on a limb here and predict that uh, we'll see the same in the RET fusion population. You know, we have a second uh, agent. Uh, you mentioned pralcetinib was the second uh, drug approved. Selpercatinib was approved several months before pralcetinib, and this was based on the Libretto 001 trial. Again, this had cohorts of um, RET fusion positive patients, 105 of which which were previously treated. Uh, there were 39 previously untreated patients in the Libretto 001. The, in the previously treated patients, the overall response rate was 64%, very similar to the pralcetinib arrow trial, with a median duration of response of about 17.5 months. And impressively, in the 39 previously untreated patients, an overall response rate of 85%. We don't yet have a median duration of those responses yet. And you mentioned the CNS activity of these drugs. Uh, the reports that we saw from Libretto, I think there was the recent update of about 22 patients with approximately about an 80% response rate with measurable disease. As you mentioned, these are extremely well-tolerated drugs. The most common adverse reactions uh, with selpercatinib uh, were hypertension and LFT abnormalities. Hypertension grade 3 or higher was about 14%. In grade 3 or higher, AST or ALT was about 10% or so. But only 2% of patients discontinued due to a drug-related adverse event. So, you know, to your point, these are highly effective, extremely well-tolerated drugs. One comment I'd like you to just briefly touch on is, you know, this issue of hypertension. Is this a VEGF effect? Uh, because we know there is some inhibition of VEGF with these agents. I think although these drugs are, you know, designed to go after RET, I think, you know, there is a homology between uh, RET and VEGF KDR2. And at a higher dose, especially at the highest dose level, in some patients, I think it could tickle the VEGF receptors as well, uh, especially as these drugs are dosed continuously. So I think uh, that is probably the reason why we see uh, the hypertension from these agents. So now that we have these two agents, uh, how do you go about selecting treatment for individual patients? I think that's a great question. In the world of oncology, I think, you know, for especially a rare subset of population, it is always good to have two drugs or even more drugs, and it is better than one. And, you know, the good thing is that we have two drugs, and, you know, both of them seem to be well-tolerated, and they have a high response rate. Uh, since these are approved in a line-agnostic manner, regardless of uh, treatment line, 
we should start treating patients with red positive tumors as soon as we find out about the red fusion. Again, ideally in the first line. And, you know, two of them have different uh, side effect profiles. Again, as you said, the most common adverse event of grade 3 or higher in the cell percatinib liberator study was hypertension and increased uh, AST, ALT in 10 and 12% of patients and in lymphopenia in a subset of patients. And in the pralcitinib study, uh, we saw anemia, low counts, and pneumonitis, and they did not see a problem with LFTs. Again, these are different classes of agents with different side effects. And, you know, we will see. Uh, since we don't have head-on-head studies, the real-world data will inform us in the future. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Well, this has uh, certainly been a fascinating conversation. Uh, but before we wrap up, Dr. Sabai, can you share your one take-home message with our audience? The last five years has been amazing for lung cancer precision oncology. The continued implementation of molecular screening strategies like comprehensive next-gen sequencing panels, both tissue and liquid biopsy, that include the ability to detect red fusions will be critical for identifying patients with non-small cell lung cancer who may benefit from these selective red inhibitors. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, the, the management of uh, advanced uh, non-small cell lung cancer has become very complicated. It is the poster child for targeted therapy, as you mentioned. Uh, my take-home message would be comprehensive uh, genomic testing. Try to wait for the results before you make your therapeutic decision. If you feel you have to treat, it's okay to give a cycle of chemotherapy alone. Um, and I think that's um, uh, the proper strategy uh, in the in day-to-day management um, today. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank our audience for listening in. And thank you, Dr. Sabaya, for joining me and sharing all of your valuable insights. It was great speaking with you today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Proba. Thank you for listening.